Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Wisdom Wednesdays, a little midweek dose of thoughts and reflections. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, author and entrepreneur, passionate about stretching minds and perspectives to release you from the past and open your mind up to the unlimited possibilities that life offers each and every one of us if we care to look. If you like the Not Perfect podcast, please share, rate, and comment, as that really helps me grow this show to bring you even more inspiring guests weekly. On today's podcast, I am talking to the fabulous podcasters and authors of Big Fat Negative, Emma Hazlett and Gabby Griffith. I've been so looking forward to this podcast episode as infertility and the impact on mental health is a topic we haven't really covered. Emma and Gabby launched their chart-topping podcast that's entirely focused on the trials of trying for a baby. After realizing that even though one in six couples struggle to conceive, the conversation around infertility was not being had publicly, and instead, those facing difficulty were left feeling isolated and alone. Emma and Gabby are on a mission to normalize and provide a different tone to the conversation, and I'm here for it. What is a favorite quote you return to often and why? We were talking about this earlier, and um, it's kind of, we both have the same one, really, don't we? Yeah, we're on the same page, for sure. So we're, like, (laughs) we've said this to ourselves, like, through the worst times, we always said to ourselves, everything is copy. And that's from Nora Ephron. Basically, her point was that like any shit that you go through, you can just turn into content and write about it. It's about the creativity, isn't it, that that comes out of shit and difficult times. And like, you know, when we first started saying it to each other, we were creating a podcast and we were chatting about it on the podcast. So if something bad happened during the day, we'd be like, oh, that'll make a great story for later. Yeah, I mean, basically, we're just both massive drama queens. Maybe me more (laughs) than Gabby. And when something bad happens... We just revel in it. Everything is copy. New quote uh, that I'm going to return to often as well. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of? I mean, we're quite boring about this stuff. Like we say it all the time. It's just, just talk. Like just talk, whatever you're going through, just talk. Mm-hmm. So we started the podcast in 2018. And at that point, I'd been going through infertility for three years. And Gabby was just jumping on the bandwagon. She'd been going for a year. It was an excuse that every single week we would sit together and bitch and moan about what was going on, like talk in detail about what was going on. And for both of us, it just helped enormously. When you're going through infertility, it's one of those things that makes you feel like you're the only person in the world that it's happening to. Because if you look at social media or on Instagram, everyone's having babies. There's like pregnancy announcements all over the place. People are on the, you know, t- sending their kids on their first day at school. Everywhere you look, you're like, oh my God, it's just me. It's just me that can't do this very basic biological thing. And you can really internalize what's happening to you. But the minute you start saying it to someone, like even if it's just one other person, they'll be like, oh, this happened to my friend. And, you know, all of a sudden you start hearing these other stories and you start to feel like, oh, actually, this isn't, 
it's not just me. You can find other people. There's a huge community in the TTC world of people who have got shared experience and it just helps you to feel less alone because feeling alone is rubbish. Yeah. About any and every issue. There's always someone else going through it. Mm-hmm. What is your understanding of soul? We're like, I think on the podcast and generally as people, we're not like super religious or spiritual, but obviously we talk a lot about making babies and babies are, I mean, like all we want is to, I guess, bring another soul into our lives. Mm. There's a term in infertility, which I don't really like, but people do call them M babies. Like that, they're, they're your babies. They're in a freezer. They're waiting for you. Mm. Do they have souls? I don't know. But are they my babies? Like, yes, probably. It's a weird question. When I find soul in what we do, it's the community and the people in a way, because from doing this podcast and from like sharing our story, we've kind of tapped into this community that nobody else really knows is there. It's huge on Instagram. There's lots of people sharing their stories and supporting each other and cheerleading. And that's kind of sometimes where I find what I would describe as soul. You know, it's strangers cheerleading for each other when they're going through some of the toughest times of their lives. And I think that's, that's a pretty good expression of soul. What a lovely reason to be human to experience that. Mm. Uh, So you've obviously interviewed so many different experts. You guys have been on your own journey and you've also extensively researched around the area. From the beginning of your journey to now, what has been some of the biggest aha moments or like biggest insights? You were like, oh, wow, I did not know that. So one of the things that really hit me was when we were writing the book, I interviewed somebody about just doing IVF, right? And if you're doing IVF, like it's devastating if it doesn't work, it's you grieve essentially. But the thing she said was, it's like chemotherapy. Like you can't just go and do chemotherapy once and you're cured. And it's the same with IVF. Like you have to do it a few times. Most people have to do it a few times before it works. And it was just such a like ding light bulb moment because I think we all have expectations, especially in, in today's society, we all expect like stuff to work straight away but actually you really have to like take it slow with IVF and just like really get into it. I was going to say. It's very hard when, um, when you've been trying for a baby naturally and it's not worked and then all of a sudden the doctor comes along and says, that's all right, well, we'll do IVF instead. And you're like, Oh, thank God. Science is going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. I can just relax now. That'll be it fixed. And then if it doesn't work, you're like, what the fuck that was the scientists were going to fix this for me. And it can be a bit of a blow. Right. Yeah. Do you know, like on average, how long there is like a, is there an average or is that actually, am I just exhibiting really basicness that I'm even asking a question like, what is the average amount of time that one conceives? There's some loads of stats and I really should have them on me to hand all the time, but it's something like 90% of couples will conceive within the first 12 months and another like 60% of the ones left over will conceive within two years. It's something like that. Something really high. I can find it. (laughs) Very handy book here. (laughs) 80% will conceive in the first year, while another half of the remainder will conceive during the second year of trying. So 80% first year, and then half of that, half of what's left the second year. What are the main reasons for infertility? Obviously, it's a 50-50 male and female split. And... Within those, they can be broken down into many reasons. So on the female side, you've got things like 
blocked fallopian tubes. Looking at you, Emma. Lucky me. Endometriosis, <laughs> PCOS, things like that that can cause female infertility. On the guy's side, it doesn't get broken down into anything. It's just all lumped in into one male factor infertility, it's called, um, which is quite funny. And that was going to be one of my revelations that I've had is that male fertility is just not treated or really looked at very much. History would like to tell us that it's all the women's fault, wouldn't it? Like, look at Henry VIII. We all know where the problem was there. It's definitely not with his wives. Um, But history tells you that it's women that are the issue with conceiving, whereas it's very much could be both ways. So can men have any surgery at all? Or is it only women that can change infertility? Men can be examined and there are treatable issues. So they can tweak things in their lifestyle, like quit smoking, reduce their drinking, eat certain foods, maybe lay off the cycling. There are things that are bad for balls, so to speak, that can impact your swimmers, as we like to call them on the podcast. Um, (laughs) And so if you got examined, they might, you know, they might find something that's easily fixed. It's just that in many cases, unfortunately, they that doesn't happen. You, if a doctor finds there's a sperm problem, they send you straight to a clinic and a clinic will just do IVF. I was talking to a, is a sperm doctor, which is the proper name is urologist today. And he's kind of very much in the belief that we need to start treating men rather than just sending them to clinics. So he's, um, he's on his soapbox saying that, and I tend to agree. And um, what are the main, aside from the obvious impacts of going through IVF or infertility, but are there other ones that maybe you've experienced or that you hear a lot that people go through that maybe are also kind of like less known? Do you mean like emotional impacts or just yeah, like the hormonal physical? kind of impact on and, and physical, I guess? I think the big impact for us, there's this like really profound grief that I did not expect. I expected frustration. I expected like getting really annoyed. I did not expect to be grieving once a month every time my period came. That I think that's the, the most surprising effect is just how much it fucks with your head, basically. Yeah, it's it's a hard one because it's also because it's so private and so personal, isn't it? Like it's hard to work out when to open up about something like this because you, you know you probably don't plan to tell people that you're trying. You plan to, to reveal the great news when it's worked, and it kind you know depending on how long this goes on for, you're kind of like, oh, do I start talking about it? Is now the time? Yeah. You know, do I tell my boss that that's why I was crying in that meeting for apparently you know no reason? Yeah, it's a world of trying to, you know, feel your way around and work out what to share and when. How did you both manage the grief? Was it through journaling or, you know, was there anything else that you found comfort in? I just got really, really bitter. And that was how I dealt with that, being incredibly bitter all the time, (laughs) especially towards anyone who was pregnant. I probably drank a lot more than I should have. And I just talked to anybody who would listen, even if I didn't really know them. Uber drivers, like all of London's Uber drivers know about my fertility issues. Yeah. <laughs> I just like responded hugely inappropriately. Maybe if I thought about journaling, I would have. Like I did a bit of blogging, but it didn't really help. But yeah, it was mainly bitterness. I wouldn't recommend that as a course of action. I think starting a podcast eventually did really help. Yeah, that's, it's getting it off your chest. That's what helped. And kind of turning it into almost 
as we said before, like a good thing when something bad happens because you're like, oh, make a great story later. It definitely, that helped me more than anything. I mean, you know, we did things like acupuncture. That was very nice. You know, I would, you know, kept running and that running is very good for my mental health. And, but I would, you know, inevitably spend the entire run thinking about baby names and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, it's hard to find that the right answer. And I think we definitely both found it in the podcast, but, and I think other people, obviously not everyone can start a podcast just getting it out and writing it down. You know, even though we laugh about the Uber driver, in a way, just talking to actually someone you don't know, mm. it can be yeah. Yeah. incredibly healing. On the other side of things, I guess, the birth rate is dropping quite significantly. So we kind of have so many different groups where there's those that have children, want children, don't want children. And obviously infertility is associated, I guess, with older age why do you think on the whole the birth rate is dropping I mean that's I guess that quite like a sociological question but I'm just interested and curious to know your thoughts childcare is really expensive life is really expensive like if you think about what your mum was up to at the same age as you when we started trying for a baby my mum already had two kids by the time she was the age that I was Mm. and a house that she lived in and owned I lived in a rented flat. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Couldn't afford a house. I've been saving for ages. I think our lifestyles have changed so much. Mm. I think we're kind of reaching these point in our lives a bit later where we think, okay, now I'm a bit sorted. I can have a kid. And I think that obviously is going to have an impact. We should we have a responsibility to say that all IVF is not age related. You know what I mean? But our problems, the problems that we both had, were not related to age. And there are lots of people suffering from infertility, which has nothing to do with age. But that you're right. Like there, are, it is a big part of it. We are big supporters of people who decide to be childless. I think that's absolutely everyone's choice. And I think it's a choice that should be supported and not judged. Because I think that's the other side of it is people who make that decision are also kind of ostracized almost. Like, why would you make that choice? I think everyone's choice should be celebrated. Miscarriage is obviously another subject avoided by mainstream conversation. And I've definitely seen more conversation happening around this. And obviously you talk about it in your podcast a lot. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't mind sharing experiences and what you've learned around looking into this. Neither of us have had a pregnancy loss and we prefer the phrase pregnancy loss to miscarriage because miss, the suffix miss, or if you make a mistake, it's like a very active, like I fucked up. Whereas pregnancy loss is like a little bit less, like feels a bit less blamey. Still blamey, mind you. You still yeah. lost 
it, did you? Oh, she lost it. Yeah, um, definitely yeah. A, a conversation to be had around language. But... Yeah, and it's funny, you're choosing from a lot of bad um, <laughs> phrases. Writing the pregnancy loss chapter for me was particularly hard because when I got pregnant, a friend got pregnant at the same time. And she was a friend on Instagram and we were messaging each other loads, like so excited, got a scan, saw a heartbeat, and then she lost her baby. So I spoke to her for the book and talked and she had, I think she had three more losses and it was just utterly heartbreaking. And one of the most important things that I learned when I was writing it was just the physical stuff that you go through that we really don't talk about. We've got better at talking about the psychological part of it, the fact that we go through grief when we lose a baby and it's a really awful experience. What we don't talk about loads is like, what happens to your body? In a lot of cases, if you're after 10 weeks, your waters will break, you will lose probably quite a lot of blood and it will be physically exhausting. You will go through a hormone crash, which is like a horrible way to remind you. And some people who lose their babies later on in pregnancy lactate. Like imagine having lost your baby and then your body just reminds you what's just happened. Like it is an awful thing. And we do not talk about that stuff ever. We do not talk about the physicality of it. One of the things I always come back to on miscarriage is um, it's actually a a quote, another quote um, from an author called Lynn Enright, who said, miscarriage is common, but it is not ordinary. Because one of the things that often people say you know when you lose when miscarriage happens it you know it happens all the time it happens to lots of people it's very very common it gets kind of brushed off like don't you you know don't it's not that sad honestly it happens to everyone yes it is common but it is not an ordinary thing to go through and it is hard and and people should get the respect and the support that they you know no matter how far along in that pregnancy they were through your interviews, how did they look after themselves? Was there anything they did practically to help themselves, support themselves? Like find a community seems like a number one, but were there any other things they shared? We did. We actually interviewed someone for a podcast who talked about the physicality again of losing a baby. And one of the things that she said was like, it's really basic, but please make sure you hydrate because if you're losing blood, you need to be hydrated and people who are grieving do not drink enough water. And she was like, just the basic stuff, eat some proper food, just try and eat some proper food. It's so basic. Don't go on a run that day. Because again, as, as Gabby says, you know, it's common. And so we think that we just, as women, we just need to keep going, just live our normal lives. It happens all the time. People lose babies all the time. I'll go on a, I've got to go on a run because I'm running a marathon in a few months. Just don't, just give your body time to heal. And how best can we support people going through these experiences? Because I think there's one thing being in it yourself, but also there's lots of people we probably know in our communities that we could be far more supportive. With pregnancy loss specifically, a lot of people get, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. And it's just, it's not a helpful thing to say. There's a lot of at least. There's a, oh, well, you could just do this. You could just do IVF. You could just adopt none of that's helpful. So I would say avoid sentences that begin with at least or contain the word just. Mm. I think people's natural reaction to hearing someone's going through infertility or someone's lost a baby is to try and fix it, right? You kind of, you're trying to throw things at someone that maybe they haven't thought of it. I think the general consensus is 
just say that's really shit and I'm sorry to hear you're going through that and I'm here if you want to talk. Don't try and offer solutions because you guarantee that whatever you're suggesting, you know, they've already thought of it. Yes, they've considered our option and they are relaxed and that's not what's happening <laughs> Such a common thing to hear when you're struggling with infertility. People tell you to just relax and it's just the most infuriating thing. So never, ever say that to someone who tells you they're struggling to conceive. <laughs> yeah, I second that. Just never tell people to relax. You're too stressed. Yeah. Oh, my God. And there's nothing more stressful than being told to relax. Get so. <laughs> I'm sure you've also come across a lot of the quackery. Mm. If you... Do a handstand before bed, you're oh more likely going to get, you know, sperm into egg or anything ridiculous like that. What are the most quackery things that you have heard uh, when it comes to uh, helping pregnancy or just helping manage all of these issues? The best one is the McDonald's chips, right? Yeah, so there's, there's, I don't know where this has come from. Like most of them have some grain or nugget of something that gives them a reason for existing but this is mental is after you've had an embryo put into your womb you should go and eat mcdonald's chips because it'll help it stick we uh, we put it to our um ivf um medical guru professor tim child and he was just like i can't even find any reason why someone would suggest that <laughs> it's just nonsense <laughs> <laughs> there's a classic eat a pineapple so eating pineapples helps you to get pregnant because it helps embryos to kind of stick in your womb. Yeah. And there's like a nugget of truth to that, right? Yeah. There's something in pineapples called bromelain, which if you've got an inflamed womb, so to speak, it can help with the inflammation. Apparently in the in the olden days, they used to put it on wounds, like on, on a burn wound or something. So there is a medicinal property to the core of a pineapple. There's most, the most of the bromelain is in the core. So that's what people tell you to eat. But it's largely unproven unless you're mm. eating, I would say, 10 tons of, of pineapple core, which nobody can do. <laughs> One of the classic old wives tales is about after you have sex, when you're trying for a baby, you should put your legs up against the wall, which is bollocks, basically, <laughs> because you're, the way your vagina is tilted, if you lie down, if you just lie flat, that's like the best position you could be in. Putting it up against the wall is actually putting it into a bad position. I mean, but you know what? If you do it, no one's going to judge you. I've done it. <laughs> Have you done it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> We've all done it. <laughs> yeah. So IVF, would you mind walking us through this process? Because I actually think it's a word that gets spoken about, but until you've actually gone through it, you probably don't really know actually what happens. Basic IVF is kind of a two-step process, right? First step, get your eggs and make embryos. Second step, put embryos in. So you basically need to get your eggs out, mix them with the sperm, and then put the embryo back in. The process there is that you inject yourself a couple of times a day, and it makes your ovaries produce more eggs than usual, right? So we normally we produce one a month. When you're doing IVF, they want you to produce loads so they can get them all out at once and make as many embryos as possible. Yeah. And then one day you inject yourself with what we call the trigger shot. And that just tells your body, we need you to ovulate in the next 36 hours. Release the eggs. <laughs> and then you go to your clinic and they give you some really lovely drugs and um, you go to sleep and then they extract all the eggs that you've made. They then basically put your eggs in a petri dish with some sperm that has been supplied by an outside source and they mix them up and then they will 
usually these days they will sit and wait and watch to see how the embryos do. So hopefully the eggs will all fertilize. Normally you get like a 65% drop off rate. So I started with 14 eggs. I got 11 embryos and then they'll tend to watch them for five days to see how they develop. And so by day five, I had six embryos and then they usually just choose one to put back in. So you go in a few days later, lie down, they get a big, long, like really thin catheter. And it's kind of, they kind of swoosh the embryo into your uterus. And then for a while, at least you are pregnant. Once you've had that transfer of the embryo, it's called pupo, which is pregnant until proven otherwise. Yeah. And then two weeks later, you take a pregnancy test and you find out whether it worked. What is the success rate with IVF? If you're under 35 and you're reasonably healthy, you're healthy weight, in generally good health, it's about 33 to 36%. It's pretty low. Yeah. Down then yeah. as you get older. Gosh. And freezing eggs, is that the same process, but they just don't put the eggs in you? Yeah. So if you're freezing your eggs, you go through exactly the same process where you inject yourself, you create as many eggs as you can. They take them out. And at that point, they will just freeze them straight away. Mm. If you're creating embryos, they'll mix them with the sperm and then they'll freeze those instead. So I've got three frozen embryos. In fact, so has Gabby. It's amazing. I mean, there's so many frozen embryos in the world now. That's, I mean, that's an interesting topic in itself because obviously people do rounds of IVF and often have spare embryos left over. So there's just Mm -hmm. hundreds and thousands, millions of like frozen embryos just hanging out in clinics all over the world. Guys, honestly, I I thank you so much for answering such a variety of questions and (laughs) um, being so like wonderfully honest. And obviously your podcast takes this to a whole new level, but your new book is coming out, Big Fat Negative, same title as the podcast. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you and obviously hear more about your stories and um, on social and find the book? Uh, You can find us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. You can find us on Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. Um, the book is out now, actually. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on Waterstones. It's on, is it bookseller.com? .org, I think. Bookshop.org. Yeah. yeah, and on um, podcast. We're on iTunes, Acast, anywhere you get your podcast. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Fofi. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 